So we're um, continuing in these verses that we've read for a couple of weeks now about bearing the marks of peace. Uh, that as believers, we, like the Apostle Paul, bear the marks of Christ upon our bodies. And you remember back in Galatians that Paul says he bears the marks of Jesus upon him and that no one should give him a hard time. And that in some ways, Paul is speaking in hyperbole there, but in another way, he's speaking very literally that on his body there are scars, there are whip marks, there are beating marks. There are marks that he received in prison uh, that are physically uh, visible of the marks that he bears for Christ. But he's also speaking somewhat existentially that in his life that he bears the marks of the love of God upon him. He's marked by that love. He's marked by patience and he's marked by kindness. And we have talked about the last couple of weeks of the mark of peace that you and I, even in our culture today, it is applicable to us to bear this mark of peace as a testimony to the world that our God lives within us and our God reigns upon the world. Last week we talked about how restlessness causes us to wander and grope frantically for any anchor in a storm, but it was only God's presence in our life that could stabilize us against the gales of life with a supernatural peace that Paul talks about here, a peace that passes understanding. And we looked at the first four steps of that, and we'll look at steps five and six today, but step one was to stand firm and to stand fast in the Lord. Step two was that we would have unity and we would stand together. Step three is that we would be a people of rejoicing in all that God has provided for us. And step four, we would be a gracious and a gentle people. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He's returning soon, and we should be manifesting those things that are about him. And so our takeaway was that persevering in the steps of Jesus infuses us with peace. It is a peace that is imputed to us that's unfathomable. A peace that removes distractions and allows us to see God and God at work. And as we said earlier, we do live in times of great transition, times of great chaos. And just like the Philippian church, they also were in great chaos and transition. They were a people that were under oppression from the Romans and from their own family and the Greek culture that they lived in who were anti-Christian, more so um, in a violent way even than in today's world. They were truly being beaten for their faith. They were Paul was in prison writing this letter from prison because of his faith, not because of a traffic ticket, but because he dared to call Christ his Lord and to follow him. They were a people whose family were turning in on them, families who worshipped Greek gods and pagan gods and families who were Jewish that were disowning their own children and their own brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers because they had decided to give their life to Christ. They, too, were worried about their living. How would they make a living? How would they put bread on the table, especially with this commitment to Jesus and their culture, which meant for many of them the loss of business? Even for some that were going on during this time, it could mean easily the loss of their own life. 
Of course, they lived in a time where medical science wasn't nearly as advanced as it is today, and many of them were passing from any sorts of various diseases. You see, Paul is writing this letter in a very transitional place for him, prison, in a very chaotic situation, to a very chaotic situation, and saying, in these times, in these transitions, we must bear the mark of peace. The truth is this, in times of transition, they may feel uncertain, they may feel exciting, nerve-wracking, and or frightening. But they are our best opportunities to experience God with clarity. Times of transition can be scary and exciting. Sometimes they're joyful. Sometimes they're uncertain. But it's in those times that we can see God at work with great clarity. And it is only when we lose our facades of control that a true assessment of His strength and His grace can be seen. Peace may be had in the transitions by relying on God's sovereign grace alone. In Florida, we have something that we call a lobster, much different than the lobsters in New England. They're sort of kissing cousins of one another, but they're a little bit smaller and they're brown. And they don't have claws as big as the ones in New England. But one thing those two sets of lobsters have in common, every season they molt. In other words, they grow. And at the end of their growth time, they have to shed their shells. They have to come out of them. And when they do, they are the most vulnerable that they could possibly be. I'm sure if a lobster had a brain bigger than a pea, it would be afraid. It might be uncertain. It might feel anxiety. It might feel like real anxiety when the grouper swims by. But unless that lobster sheds its shell, it will die. It has to grow. And in its growth, it forms a new shell. But during that time, don't you know it's frightening, it's scary, and yet though out of it, God brings life. And for many of us, we're in times of transition. We're in times that are frightening. We feel vulnerable. We wonder what God may be up to in our own lives. We may feel much like that lobster without a shell. We may feel exposed. But don't you know that God is at work so that you might have life? Leads us to step number five in, in our scriptures today about we are to cast all of our anxious thoughts upon Jesus. Look with me in chapter four of Philippians. As we look at this sixth verse, I might want to get in Philippians instead of Corinthians. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we want to look at step number five, prayer. Prayer that can relieve us from our anxiousness. These words literally read out in the Greek, 
let nothing cause you to be anxious, but in everything pray. Let nothing, let no jot, no tittle, nothing, no small infinitesimal circumstance, no infinite circumstance, and everything in between cause you to be anxious. Now, we, we should get clear. There's a difference between anxiousness and concern. That we are not being instructed here to be an ignorant people. That we're not to live as Pollyanna-type people with our heads in the sand. But we are to get up in the morning and to go to work and take care of the responsibilities that God has given us to steward over. We are to be concerned that it's a dangerous world out there that we send our children into every day. We are to be concerned and to be diligent about getting our physicals and making sure that we're doing the doctor's orders. We're to live responsible, steward lives. But there's a difference between that and what this word anxious means. This word anxious means to be fretful, to be undone, to be discorded, to be in fear, to live as a frightened, fearful people. Fear comes into every one of our lives, doesn't it? Fear knocks on the door of every single one of us. Some fears are, are real and some fears are imagined. Some fears are about our personal safety and other fears are about our financial security. Some fears are that we may lose a loved one and other fears are we may be the loved one that will be lost. There's always the temptation to lose and become discorded, to be undone, to be like an unraveled rope that is coming apart at the seams. But Paul says the solution to that, to live with the mark of peace of Christ in your life, is to pray. And this word prayer is an interesting word. It's a word that actually means to become prostrate on the ground. To fall on your face. To humble yourself before the Lord. And in doing so, acknowledging your humility before Him, that you are in deep need for Him to be in your life, for Him to control your circumstances, for Him to be the Lord that guides you through every storm. That it should be a routine it's not only a, a word that means that we have a set-aside time for prayer. That each, each believer should have a time in their life, in their personal life. That they say, this is my time to be with God and to express my heart to Him. You remember last week when we talked a little bit and touched on the idea of prayer. And we talked about it's not some religious ritual. But it's going heart to heart with God. It's not something to be frightened by or something that you think you have to have the right words for. It's not something that you need the priest to do for you. It is the place where you bow your head in humble reliance upon your Father, knowing that He has filled His throne room with the grace of His Son that invites you to approach boldly and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my anxious thoughts. 
Know my heart and know my anxious thoughts. Here they are for real, God. No holes barred. Help me. That's what prayer is. Prayer is also, God, I'm here to tell you I'm so grateful for all that you've done for me. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the tears, the laughter. It's the expression of everything that you are. Everything that you hope to be. And the disappointment and everything that you feel that you are not. And bringing it before your Father and saying, God, here it is. Here's everything that's causing my rope to feel undone. That's how much this grace of Christ has purchased for you and me. To know for sure, without a doubt, that I can bring it to the throne room of God Not just to be acknowledged and not just to be heard, but to know it will be dealt with by the sovereign hand of my mighty Father. Notice the contrast that we're not in any way to be anxious, but in everything we are to pray. I remember speaking with our next door neighbor. I may have shared this before. Bear with me if I have. But she was going, I think I did actually, now that I'm saying it about three or four weeks ago, she was going through a difficult time and I said, I'd be happy to pray for you. And she said, oh, you don't need to do that. God's got bigger things to worry about than me. He's got China and all that. And that sounds humble, but it's really prideful. And it's really insulting to the nature of who God is. God truly omniscient, God truly omnipotent, God truly omnipresent is still the God of the infinitesimal as much as He is the God of the infinite. That the God who takes care of China and all the global affairs of the world, the God who keeps fingers off of red buttons and missiles from flying is the same God that can keep your x-ray in context in your life. He's the same God that knows where your dog ran off to. He's the same God that knows where your children are when they're out on a date. He's the same God that knows the balance better than you do about your own bank account and what it's going to be tomorrow or maybe what it's not going to be tomorrow. He's the same God that knows every little cell in your body and not one of them are out of his control. He's also the same God that knows every single atom within the universe. And if they were to be named, he would know the name of every molecule of every atom within the universe. R.C. Sproul has said that if there's one atom in the universe that's out of the control of God, then God is not God. Nothing could be more true. Oh, things sometimes may appear random to us from our perspective. But the Scriptures clearly tell us 
that God controls them and is using them for our benefit and for His glory. In everything we are not to be, or in anything we are not to be anxious, but in everything we're to go to the sovereign God in prayer. Well, not only does he say that we're to pray, but there's also an additional prayer to the prayer of supplication. What does this word supplication mean? This word supplication means exactly what it means. God, supply yourself to me. God, here it is. This is what's on my heart. This is what's messing with my head. This is what's keeping me awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. This is what I fear the most in this entire world. God, I supplement myself to you and say, Lord, there it is. Come to me. I need you. It's the cry of a desperate child to the father that says, Daddy, help me. And the assurance of knowing that Daddy is already at work. I wonder if our prayer lives are free enough to be that way. I want you to look with me sometime at David, King David, the writer of the Psalms. Here's a guy that just blew it so many times. He just, he really did blow it. But how is he described by the Scriptures other than a man after God's own heart. I am convinced that the meat of that definition is because David came to God over and over and over again with his heart. He wasn't afraid to say, God, here it is. God, here I am. God, against you and you only have I sinned. God, I need you. And I need you to heal me. I need you to take your blood and pour it out on me and make me white as snow. And if you don't, I'm lost. Now that's a prayer. That's a supplication. That's a heart that says, God, I am scared to death that tomorrow I'll get bad news. God, I am scared to death that my children won't come home. God, I'm scared to death that things won't work out the way I want them to work out. God, I'm scared to death. God, I'm afraid. God, there's transition. God, things are changing. God, I'm getting older. God, I'm not old enough. God, I'm not pretty enough. God, I'm not strong enough. God, I'm not wealthy enough. God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Only to hear, child, I'm yours. I'll supply every need that you have. Just be the third part of this thankful. With prayer 
and with supplication and thanksgiving. This is something Lee and I recently in our lives have been really trying to focus on to be thankful for every stinking little thing. I blew up some eggs, boiling eggs the other day, literally. I put on some eggs to make some egg salad. I went down and watched TV, got caught up in a movie. Next thing I know, I heard a big explosion upstairs in the kitchen. And as soon as I went up the stairs, it started smelling really bad. But I was thankful. I was thankful Lee wasn't home yet. I was thankful the house wasn't on fire. I was thankful there was no injury done to the animals. I was thankful maybe those eggs were rotten and I was going to get sick if I had ate one of them. I was thankful that the, the um, stove didn't break. I was thankful the pot didn't melt. There's a lot to be thankful for. Even with eggs that explode. You know, I think sometimes we give too much credit to the devil. We've, we get in circumstances that don't go the way we want them to go and we think it's the devil at work when many times it's really God at work. When God is protecting you and I from something. Or when God is calling us to a different situation in life. Maybe God has got us where that lobster is and, and the shell is gone and we're feeling really scared about the next phase. But we can be thankful that God is already in the next phase fully. He knows the outcome of what's going to happen next. I want to blow your circuits just a little bit. Maybe. Some of you have been in Authentic Journey 1. have heard this before. But if we know God to be all-knowing, right? God knows everything. Correct? We can all agree on that? Yeah, one or two yeses is really helpful there. (laughs) If God knows everything, then God knows how everything is going to fall. He knows how all the dominoes are set up, and He knows how all the dominoes are going to fall, right? He knows which domino is going to fall into which domino. Not only that, he knows the implications of everyone falling. He knows exactly how everything is going to spread out, right? Well, here's where it gets a little tricky. God also knows everything that's not going to happen. He knows how every domino is not going to fall. And he knows the implications of everything that didn't happen. He knows both sides of the equation fully. That's the kind of God we can come before and be thankful I said, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you do. I don't know where we're going, but you do. I don't know what's going to happen next, but you do. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful I don't have to be in control of that. I'm thankful I don't have to figure it out. I'm thankful I don't have to save my own self from drowning. But you have already reached out your hand to me and lifted me up out of the sea. And put me on dry land. It's a done deal. God, I'm thankful for what you're teaching me in this. I'm thankful you're making my faith deeper. God, I'm thanking you. You're making me closer to someone. 
God, I'm, I'm thankful you're teaching me to trust less in money and more in you. God, I'm thankful that you're setting me up to be in an intimate relationship with you. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're using the very hard and difficult things in my life, places where I've fallen, places where sin has entrapped me and you're setting me free so that I can know the deep and amazing relentless love that you have for me even when I failed. You see, there's reasons always for us to be thankful, to trust To trust is the highest expression of love. To have faith is putting hands on trust. I'm into nature today for some reason. I want to tell you how eagles teach you little eagles to fly. Anybody know how they do that? Huh? Well, not only do they tail their nest apart, but they grab them in their talons and they take their little baby eagles and they fly as high as they possibly can fly. And let them go. And these little chicklets and fall, you know, they just swirl on down. And right before they hit the ground, mama swoops in and grabs them. Man, you know those little eaglets are going, boy, that was close. (laughs) Thanks, mama. But you know what she does? She takes them right back up. And takes them as high as she can possibly fly. And lets them go again. And she does that over and over and over until those little eagles know how to soar. Be thankful that God is at work in your life. You may be floating down and not wondering if you're going to hit the ground and smack it hard, but He's going to catch you. And He's going to teach you how to soar. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, and supplication, scream out to your Father and thank Him for what He's doing. Paul goes on to say this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Not some artificial peace that you've conjured up within yourself. Not some facade of peace that we use to fake one another out with. But it's the true, eternal peace, supernatural, of God Himself within you that is yours and mine. I don't get it. I don't understand that. But it's there. It's there for every single follower of Christ. In the Gospel of John in the first chapter, it says those who believe He gave rights to be sons and daughters of the living God. That is one of the rights that you and I have is the peace of God within us abiding at all times. You remember what our Master said, don't you? My peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you, not as the world gives, but it's my peace. It's the eternal peace. It's the peace that says to you and I, I'm sovereign, I'm the king of the universe who dwells in you, who is working all things out for your good and for my own glory. Be at peace.
And from that we bear the mark not only because we pray, but step six, because we abide. Verse eight, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What is Paul telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? But to abide in Christ. To think upon Christ and all that He is and all that He is within us and all that He has given us. What could be more honorable than Jesus? Who is more just than Christ? Who is more pure than the living God? What is more lovely than the glory of Jesus? What could be more commendable than His record being our record What could be more excellent than the love that Christ has bestowed upon us that we might give to Him and to each other? If there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, what could be more praiseworthy than Christ? Think about these things. Turn your head away from your circumstances and you needing to be the controller of of your circumstances as though you were the fourth person of the Trinity and turn your eyes upon God, the true omniscient one who is always and forever and always present with all the power that is using everything for your good and His glory. Then His peace will be your experience then His peace will be our reality. Not just a hyperbole, but the true mark of Christ on our lives. Even to the point we would not mourn as though others mourn over death. But we would have a certainty that Christ is the victor. And he has won the battle. And we are his. So take this away today. To bear the mark of peace by keeping in step with the Spirit of God. By abiding in Christ. And with Christ as our abode, we can stand firm in him. With Christ as our home, we are united. With Christ as our worshiping leader, we rejoice. With Christ's grace upon us, we can be a graceful and gentle people. Knowing that Christ is on the throne, we can pray. And knowing that He is within us and we are within Him, we abide forever and ever. To bear the mark of peace is to keep in step with the Spirit's work. Amen. Let's pray.